Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. For a little while this evening, I want to speak on this thought, go and bear fruit. Would you say that to your neighbor? Go and bear fruit. God bless you. you may be seated. Since it's Thanksgiving, why don't you smile like you're thankful for something? Almost Thanksgiving. Amen. Well, I grew up in a rural town in Blackshear in southeast Georgia and uh, had the privilege of spending countless hours with my friend, Paul at his house, and it's five acres surrounded by pecan orchard and woods and fields, and it was an amazing place to play Army and Secret Service and SWAT teams and Cowboys and Indians and whatever else we could imagine, and we literally would play outside all day. I know that's novel and unique in these times, but it was pretty cool back then, and I for all the parents in the house, this will come as no shock, but, you know, as boys who played outside, we were hungry and always looking for a snack, something to eat, but usually we couldn't come inside, and so, you know, we had to forge out in the forest and survive and all those terrible things. Just kidding. Fortunately, uh, Paul's uncle, his uncle Harvey, uh, lived next door, and he had a uh, very tiny uh, vineyard, just a couple strips of muscadine grapes. So during the right time of the year, um, we would, for better or worse, uh, pick fresh muscadines right off the vine, spit out that seedy middle, enjoy the uh, sweetness of the grape, and um, sometimes it was good, sometimes it could do something else. Amen. Whereas, amen. Not in the notes. <laughs> so grapevines in Georgia are really a novelty and um, something that was just not common to you and I, but they were a staple of the ancient cultures that surrounded uh, the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, not only in the Bible, but throughout ancient literature, we find the imagery of the vine frequently used. And so it's no wonder that Jesus would used the grapevine to illustrate part of that masterful uh, message to his disciples just prior to ascension. This is after the Last Supper, the washing of their feet. And the, John chapter 14, 15, 16 captures Jesus' teaching to his disciples. And part of that is captured in chapter 15 where Jesus uses the grapevine to illustrate his point. Verse 1, we find it. It's a passage I kind of feel directed to just walk us through this evening and then and go to an application. John 15 and 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, I understand who most of my audience is this evening. We are oneness Pentecostals, but Jesus yet again undeniably reinforced who he is. He wanted to be clear to his disciples, don't be confused, right? I am not another, 
I am not sent from God. I am God. I am the I am. I am the true vine. As Paul would later write, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So having established the centrality of who he was to what he was about to say, Jesus continued in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So just like a good gardener who carefully manages his vineyard, God cuts off those spiritless branches that have died. When they bear no fruit and there is no life within them, they are cut off. But God intentionally and carefully prunes those spirit-infused branches that produce fruit, and the pruning is for the purpose of more fruit. Jesus' word picture here of the gardener cultivating the vine powerfully illustrates that process of discipleship that we call being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul would later kind of expand that description in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4 where he talks about we are putting off the old carnal nature. We are being renewed in the power of the Spirit and we are putting on the new spiritual nature, putting off, being renewed, and putting on. That is what discipleship is all about. It is being pruned by the work of the Holy Spirit. Anybody had some pruning happen in your life? Amen. So now Jesus drills down into this illustration a little more to demonstrate that they were dependent on him. Verse 3. You, have already, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So Jesus is basically telling them, you can chill out. I'm, I'm encouraging you. I'm not rebuking you. I'm not getting on to you right now. I'm teaching you for what's to come. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Would you just say that? Much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So every time you want to flex spirituality in your mirror, Jesus has a word for you. For without me, you can do nothing. nothing. Now, there is much to glean from the teaching of Jesus so far, but it seems clear that near the top of the list is the essentiality that you and I live and walk in the Spirit. We cannot please God in the flesh. Amen. As Paul would write the Galatians later, you know, oh foolish Galatians, do you think you can finish in the flesh what has been started in the Spirit. So we have to live in the Spirit. We have to walk in the Spirit. And then what is also clear is that there is a divine expectation that as Spirit-filled believers, we bear fruit. It's true that God looks on the heart and knows the heart of every man and woman. 
But what is not true is that because he can see our heart, he doesn't care about our fruit. Amen? Amen. This passage is clear. Your fruit matters. Right? So maybe you're asking yourself, okay, but what fruit is Jesus talking about? Within the context of this passage, it would seem that bearing fruit can include love. It includes obedience to his word. It includes prayer in his name. It includes exhibiting godly character. And it includes being a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of those are part of bearing much fruit. And they all matter because Jesus continued in verse 6 with this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. No wonder then that Paul would write later to the Romans so passionately and powerfully in Romans 8 and 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. This is a repetitive theme throughout Jesus' teaching in this final discourse with his disciples. If you are carnally minded, you are dead. And if you are dead, you will be cut off. But to be spiritually minded is life. Amen. Jesus then demonstrates the results of abiding in him, what it means to bear much fruit in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. You want to be an effectual prayer warrior? Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. So you can pray according to the will of the Spirit, and then when you pray, it shall be done. By this, my Father is glorified. Verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. How? That you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So we can see in this passage that effective spirit-led prayer is not just about me and my needs. When we pray in his name, it is about being aligned to his will, and it is missional. Your prayers are missional. It's not just give me, give me, give me, but it is praying in the spirit according to the will of the spirit, and that means it is always missional but in the same manner bearing fruit is not just about you and i checking a box so we can please god it's not about we can flex our spiritual muscles one to another and it's certainly not just so we can go to heaven the bearing fruit that jesus is talking about is always aligned to his will and it too is missional it is about others bearing fruit is about others This is how you glorify your Father. You bear much fruit. Amen? It's kind of like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, Jesus is teaching them, go and bear fruit. 
It's missional. It's not about us four and no more. It's not about earning stars on the Sunday school chart. It is missional. Living a life and bearing the fruit of the Spirit is about bringing glory to God and pointing people to a better way. Amen? So, having masterfully established that vine and branch imagery, Jesus begins to... Uh, continues to further explain the practical application and what it practically means to abide in him and what it means to bear fruit. So verse 9, he continues, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my... Everybody say love. love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments... And abide in his love. I'll just pause here a moment to say that abiding in God's love is not mystical. Abiding in love in God's love is not a feeling. Abiding in God's love is simple. It is obedience to the word of God. Amen. You can sing, oh, how I love him with palms outstretched and 87 crowns tattooed on your body and crosses dangling on every part of your body but if you are not living in obedience to the word of God you are not abiding in his love verse 11 these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you we're talking about bearing fruit, love, joy, loving one another. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now here Jesus explained that out. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You know that song, I am a friend of God? You can sing that because Jesus said, I have called you friend. Notice that our saving relationship with Jesus Christ, though, is not about mere mental assent at a moment in time. Jesus is clear. It is a spirit-filled life of active faith expressed through obedience to the word of God. Over and over and over, Jesus hammers home this point. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I have commanded you. So, I, you know, I'll just say it again, that obedient faith in Christ and obedient faith in Christ alone is what characterizes those that God calls friend. It's not that you sing, I am a friend of God, but it's do you obey him that makes you a friend of God. Amen. Now Jesus concludes this passage. I know all 16 verses in John 1 through 5, 15, 1 through 16, but he concludes it where we started in our text, and that is by reinforcing what all of this is about, abiding in him, him abiding in us, abiding in his love, by doing his commandments. What is all of that about? Here's what it is in verse 16. You did not choose me, 
but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This is not accidental language. Jesus tells them before the crucifixion, go, as in the Great Commission, go and bear fruit, and bear fruit that is eternally life-giving, not just for you, but to everyone that you will be a witness to of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about bearing fruit, we have to understand and have the perspective that it is missional. It is a part of asking. It is a part of being a witness. It is a part of understanding that I am an agent of hope. I am an ambassador of reconciliation. I am a missionary of the gospel. And bearing fruit is a part of my mission. Can you just say amen? amen. <clears throat> so, within the context of that framework that we've just walked through in John 15, I want us to now take a fresh look at the fruit of the Spirit. Because these virtues are not just spiritual, they are missional. Amen? Can you just say fruit of the Spirit? I say then, Paul is writing to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16. And Paul writes, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Sound familiar? Verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and they are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So Paul sets the stage, he aligns to the teaching of Jesus, he says, walk in the Spirit. What is he talking about? Abide in me, and I will abide in you. I am the vine, and you are the branches. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul then articulates that long list of the works of the flesh that I will not read, and then he provides this contrasting portrait of the fruit of the Spirit, and that's important. Notice Paul doesn't use the plural fruits. He uses singular fruit because the fruit of the Spirit is not like the diversity of gifts that are given by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. The fruit of the Spirit is singular because within that fruit are these nine virtues, but they form the whole and they show forth His glory. The virtues in the fruit of the Spirit are not a buffet that we pick and choose. They are not optional hair pieces to wear for what looks good with your outfit. They are one and the same. The Holy Spirit empowers us to possess and to manifest all nine virtues. Easier to say amen, harder to live out. Galatians 5 and 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is superior to all 
other aspects and all other virtues and all spiritual gifts. Love is preeminent. It is the secret of unity. It is what binds together all the other virtues of a Christian. As Paul wrote the Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 14, above all, clothe yourself with love which binds us together in perfect harmony. Where there is not unity, there is not love. Where there is love, there will be unity. Now we've already seen in John 15 that our perfect example is none other than Jesus Christ, right? No greater uh, love than, is this than a man would lay down his life for a friend. You are my friends, Jesus then said. Paul said it this way to the Romans 5 and 8. This is our model. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So modeled after God's love for us, this love cannot be silent. This is not fruit you can hide. You, if you're full of the Spirit, your life will evidence this type of love that is modeled after Jesus Christ. Paul described this love in 1 Corinthians 13 and 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That is the love of the Spirit. And Jesus said, go and love like that. Amen? That is a hard standard to live by. Love is not irritable. I'm not young, but I'm sure not old, but I've seen a lot of irritable, spirit-filled Christians. Amen? But love is not irritable. And we are to go and bear fruit. It's missional. Right? You're on mission so live out love of the Spirit. And then love and joy. Joy. This is joy unspeakable. This is not about mere human happiness because you just won $2 billion. This is not about happiness because you just shot a 12-point record buck. This is not joy because you just found the sale of a lifetime. It's not human happiness. It is anchored in our eternal hope in God. It is unperturbed by circumstances. That is the joy of the Spirit. As Paul wrote the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8 and 1 about how circumstances don't affect our joy. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. You can go and bear much joy in this world regardless of your circumstances because it is the joy of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. 
That's why Paul would teach us that we should rejoice always and that we should rejoice with those who rejoice. Joy, love, joy, fruit of the Spirit. But that's not all, right? Love, joy, peace. This is a positive state of wholeness. This is about being made whole based on being at peace with God. You can't have the peace of the Spirit without being at peace with God as Paul wrote the Romans in Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the peace that we're talking about. We're at peace with God and we are at, as well at peace with others. There we go. Brother John's is getting contagious. My bad. Sorry. Amen. Peace with God. Peace with ourselves. Notice Paul's writing in Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What is the peace of the Spirit? It is being at peace with God, and it is being at peace with yourself. It is looking in the mirror in all of your weaknesses and in all of your challenges and letting the peace of God guard your heart and guard your mind. And when you're at peace with God and when you're at peace with yourself, you can be at peace with others. Paul would write the Ephesians, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. You could not be any more polarized than a Jew and a Gentile, but Paul says when we are at peace with God and we are at peace with ourselves, we can be at peace with one another. You might be on one end of the spectrum and I might be on the other with all kinds of issues and languages and economy and intellect, but we can be at peace with one another. And we are to go and bear much peace. We are to be at peace with people that do not vote like us. We are to be at peace who do not have the values we have. We are to be at peace who are opposed to us. We are to be people of peace. It is the peace of the Spirit, not the peace that I agree. Love, joy, peace, and the word nobody wants to go to, long-suffering. Long-suffering is patient, one of the most dreaded words in the English language. Long-suffering is also forbearing others, which, again, isn't simply that I have to put up with you, but I have to value you while I put up with you. And again, the standard of long-suffering is not me, it's not my grandma, the standard of long-suffering is Jesus Christ himself. Here, Paul, 1 Timothy 1 and 16. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all 
long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul is saying, if God will put up with me and if God will be long-suffering with you, then we have to be long-suffering towards everybody else. Maybe this is why Paul is clear that that patience has to be expended to everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. That is a hard commandment. Bear much fruit. Jesus said, go and bear fruit, right? Much fruit. Go and bear fruit. Love, joy, peace, and long-suffering. Even in traffic, even in a busy mall, even in a checkout line with someone who's moving at the speed of a slop. Long-suffering, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and kindness. Kindness is gentle. Kindness is gracious. Kindness includes long-suffering and forbearance. Kindness is an essential expression of love. And Jesus Christ is the supreme expression of God's kindness, his grace and love towards us. So Paul, without hesitation, teaches us to his letter to the Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Instead, what? Be kind to each other. You know what? Kindness could solve a lot of problems in the United States of America. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Paul said, be kind one to another. Jesus said, go and bear fruit, the fruit includes the fruit of the Spirit, the kindness of the Spirit, and then there is goodness exhibited by magnanimous kindness and practical generosity. This is the opposite of envy. Goodness is interlinked with righteousness. Goodness is interwoven with truth. Ephesians 5 and 8, Paul said, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Goodness is kindness. Goodness is generous. Goodness is not envy. It is right. It is truth. And Jesus said, go and bear goodness. Right? Let's say it. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. This is not about saving faith. This is not about God-pleasing faith of Hebrews 11 and 6. This is not the supernatural gift of faith in 1 Corinthians. This is about dependability. This is about loyalty to God. Jesus said, go and be faithful on your job, in your sports league, to your friends and family, at your appointments, serving in ministry, be dependable, be faithful. Paul would tell the Corinthians in chapter 4 and verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. When Jesus came and the servants stood before him and gave an account of themselves, Jesus said to the first two, Well done, thou good and servant. 
Ronald Fung in his commentary on Galatians quotes William Barclay has a comment on faithfulness and I liked it so I just kept it in quote. He said, faithfulness describes the man on whose faithful service we can rely, on whose loyalty we may depend, whose word we can unreservedly accept. It describes the man in whom there is an unswerving and inflexible fidelity of Jesus Christ and the utter, utter dependability of God. That's faithfulness. And Jesus said, go and bear faithfulness, the faithfulness of the Spirit. And then there is gentleness, not in a negative sense of lacking courage or energy, but gentleness or meekness is thoroughly integrated with strength. It is the evidence of steadfast confidence in God. It is like the quiet man that you better not mess with because if you do, you will have a day of reckoning. He does not have to be proud or haughty or arrogant. She does not have to be high or arrogant or loud. But there is an inner quiet confidence that God is with me and God is for me. So who can be against me? In fact, Jesus established this meekness as one of the Beatitudes describing those in his kingdom. Matthew 5 and 5. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So let's be clear. Meekness is not weakness. It is, unless you think Jesus was a wimp, meekness is not weakness. For Jesus said in Matthew 11 and 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Maybe that's why throughout the New Testament we are, commanded to receive the word with gentleness in James 1 and 21. And we are commanded to restore fellow believers with gentleness in Galatians 6 and 1. And we are told to correct those in doctrinal error with gentleness, 2 Timothy 2 and 25. And lastly but not least is self-control. This is temperance in all things. It stands in contrast to the sexual indulgences that are listed in the works of the flesh. It is mission critical, temperance, self-control. Paul would write about it in 1 Corinthians 9 and 25 when he said, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. This is what Paul is saying, that when it comes to going and bearing fruit, that it is love, it is joy, it is peace, it is long-suffering, it is kindness, it is goodness, it is faithfulness, it is gentleness, and it is self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit, and this is a part of what Jesus said when he said, Go and bear fruit. Amen? So let's recap our biblical journey tonight. I'll take you back to John 15 and verse 8 where Jesus said, By this is my Father glorified that you 
bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And then verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. We glorify him when we bear much fruit and we go and do his mission when we bear much fruit. Fruit can mean a lot of things in the passage, but for sure it includes the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just Sunday school. It's not just poetic. It's not just nice decorations. It's not just a Facebook graphic or a cute meme. It's not about us and God only. It is about us reaching others. It is missional. Go and bear fruit at home, at work, on the job, at school, with neighbors and friends, out shopping, even while driving always, everywhere, to everyone. Go and bear fruit.